Attention. Your attention, please. Do not be alarmed. There is no need to fear. This is just a little revolt. Greetings, fellow citizens, and hello world. This is A Little Revolt, the podcasting safe house for dangerous minds. Hey there, welcome back to The Revolt. As always, I'm Eric Trawl, creator and host of A Little Revolt. Thanks for stopping by. This is episode 12, Who is Wayne Tracker? Let's get after it. Fans and students of 20th century American literature may be divided over the merits of Ayn Rand as an author, but few would deny the importance of her novel Atlas Shrugged as an influential touchstone for free market and libertarian ideologues, including many past and present political figures. And fewer still would deny the iconic status of the signature question from that novel, Who is John Galt? House Speaker Paul Ryan has famously tried to distance himself from his love for her controversial philosophy, all in order to advance his political career. But others, like former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan, whose dogmatic enthusiasm for free market forces caused him to completely miss the impending economic crash in 2007 and 2008, well, they'll happily go into great detail singing the praises of Rand's books and her philosophy of objectivism, which in essence states that man exists solely for his own sake, that the single-minded pursuit of his own self-interests is his highest moral purpose, and that if we all did the same thing, society would be better off. Rand's books invariably pit the makers of the world, the creative innovators and producers who drive progress, create jobs and the like, against the takers of the world the moochers and parasites who drain resources and get in the way of their morally superior makers. Rand also depicted government, especially the national government, as a force for evil, encouraging sloth and helplessness among the masses while preventing the best men from earning and keeping the wealth they deserved. This way of thinking about the world obviously sits well with the richest upper crust, those who bristle when anyone suggests that their success in life may not have been entirely due to their own stunning genius and extraordinary work ethic. So it shouldn't surprise anyone that Donald Trump, a man born into the richest upper crust, is a huge fan of Ayn Rand. Apparently, Trump likes to think of himself as Howard Rourke, the brilliant but unpredictable and mercurial architect in Rand's other iconic novel, The Fountainhead. Now, personally, I think Trump's got a lot more Peter Keating in him than Howard Rourke, but whatever. And it should also come as no surprise that Trump has tried to stock his White House cabinet with other unapologetic Ayn Rand acolytes, including his first choice for Labor Secretary, Andy Puzder, who had to withdraw after it was learned that he was a serial cheater on wage and hour labor practices while in business and employed an undocumented housekeeper at home. 
So Trump lost Puzder, but he was successful in landing other RAND acolytes, including CIA Director Mike Pompeo and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, who once called Atlas Shrugged his favorite book of all time. Spoiler alert. In the novel Atlas Shrugged, John Galt, thought by many to be a mythological figure, turns out to be a real person, a brilliant, wealthy, genius industrialist who is busily creating a secret and entirely self-contained separate society hidden in the mountains where the real producers of the world could live and work without compromise while abandoning the moochers and the parasites of broader society, all in order to hasten the collapse of the bureaucratic state. Rand tells a great story, in my opinion, but the detailed exposition of her objectivist philosophy in Atlas Shrugged demonstrates a juvenile and morally perverse understanding of macroeconomics and public policy. Nevertheless, it's easy to see why people like Donald Trump and Rex Tillerson are such big fans. Rand says to them, You are rich and powerful and successful because you deserve to be, because you're better than everyone else, and those lowly moochers and parasites out there, they do not deserve to even look upon you, much less live off the tax dollars and the societal advances that your brilliant efforts produce. But now, as March threatens to yield to April 2017, the news of the day has given us a new identity query to ponder. Who is Wayne Tracker? Let me first, by the way, cite my sources for this episode. First, a March 14 of 2017 story in CNN Money, authored by Charles Riley. Second, a March 16th story in The Hill, authored by Max Greenwood. Third, a March 22nd story in Bloomberg Politics, authored by Eric Larson and Joe Carroll. And finally, a March 27 story in U.S. News and World Report, authored by Basav Sen. All credit goes to them and their reporting, not to me. So, with a nod to Ayn Rand, who is Wayne Tracker? And why should you care? Turns out that Wayne Tracker, like John Galt in the novel Atlas Shrugged, is a real person. And like John Galt, Wayne Tracker turns out to be an exceedingly wealthy industrialist. But unlike the name John Galt in Rand's novel, the name Wayne Tracker turns out to be an alias. So who, you might ask, is the wealthy and powerful industrialist behind the alias Wayne Tracker? None other than former ExxonMobil CEO and current United States Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, the very same man who lists Atlas Shrugged as his favorite book of all time. Okay, that's kind of interesting in itself, but the more important question is why should you care? Why is an impossibly rich and powerful oil industry executive, literally the top man at the wealthiest corporation on the planet, using an alias? And why does it matter? Why Rex Tillerson was using the alias Wayne Tracker is, to a certain extent, up for debate. What is not up for debate is that at least from 2008 through 2015, Tillerson used the alias Wayne Tracker as part of a back channel for email communications 
among Exxon's top-level executives and board members, a back channel used to discuss critical, time-sensitive, and high-level matters, potentially including matters relating to greenhouse gas emissions, the scientific facts about global climate change, and the business implications of global climate change tied to the burning of fossil fuels. Why create this back channel for Exxon's top brass? Well, the company says it was just business expediency. Tillerson is saying nothing. I smell a rat. So why should you care? Why would any of this matter? Well, first a little background. As I have previously discussed, the scientists at Exxon were, as far back as the 1960s and early 1970s, at the forefront of scientific research into the potential global climate effects of burning fossil fuels. And as a result of their own internal research, Exxon has known several indisputable facts for decades. First, that the burning of fossil fuels, oil, natural gas, coal, wood, causes the release of massive amounts of carbon dioxide, or CO2, into the atmosphere. Second, that the released CO2 becomes trapped in the upper atmosphere and creates a greenhouse effect, trapping heat from the sun and preventing the heat from ricocheting back into space. And third, that this trapped heat is causing the warming of the planet's climate, increasing CO2 levels in the oceans, melting the polar ice caps, raising sea levels, and supercharging violent weather phenomena, things like prolonged droughts, historic floods, massive hurricanes, and violent storms. In short, Exxon has known for decades that their means of making money was creating a growing climate catastrophe for the entire planet and all of its inhabitants. But rather than coming forth with this information, and working together with other companies, governments, and nations to discover cleaner ways, more sustainable ways to power our lifestyles, Exxon made the intentional business decision to bury their own research. Instead, they embarked on a decades-long business and propaganda strategy of climate change denial, spending enormous sums of money trying to create doubt in the minds of the citizenry by paying mercenary scientists to run interference and muddy the waters, to argue against what Exxon already secretly knew to be true. Exxon embarked on this strategy of creating and selling doubt specifically because company executives knew that it would delay action on climate change and allow them to keep raking in billions of dollars, with a B, in profits, while knowingly destroying our planet's climate and ecosystem. Okay, so that's all bad enough, morally reprehensible. But let's face it, that's just capitalism. And it's not news. We already knew this from old Exxon scientific documents that were leaked a couple years ago. But for one thing it matters because it means Donald Trump has put yet another corporate fox in charge of America's henhouse. Rex Tillerson, as Secretary of State, has great influence over U.S. energy policy and official climate change policy, and we can expect that he will invariably 
and enthusiastically support the fossil fuel industry over the health and well-being of the planet and her inhabitants. Just like Education Secretary Betsy DeVos is committed to destroying the nation's public education system in favor of bringing Jesus Christ into the classroom. Just like Environmental Protection Agency head Scott Pruitt is committed to gutting the EPA, destroying evidence of human-induced climate change, and rolling back environmental protections that hinder corporate profits. Just like Energy Secretary Rick Perry is committed to eliminating the Energy Department, if only he can just remember. And just like Health and Human Services Secretary Tom Price is committed to destroying Health and Human Services by repealing the Affordable Care Act, defunding Planned Parenthood, and privatizing Medicare and Medicaid. You see, it's all about privatization. It is the wholesale destruction of our representative form of democracy in favor of an unaccountable corporate oligarchy, and we should all be outraged. We should be revolting in the streets and taking action to stop it. But there's still more to this story. Here's the rest. The state of New York, under the leadership of New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, has launched a criminal investigation into whether ExxonMobil misled its investors for decades, including under Rex Tillerson's leadership, about the value of the company's stock by downplaying or ignoring business risks associated with greenhouse gas emissions and the increasing likelihood of government-imposed climate change initiatives. See, if some of Exxon's capital investments exploration ventures and oil reserves fail to pay off as projected because the company and the industry are ordered to scale back operations, reduce fossil fuel production, or shift towards more responsible forms of energy, then Exxon stock is less valuable than Exxon has alleged, and investors have been misled. But in our world where property rights and ownership reign supreme, Investors have great power. So if Exxon knew the facts about the impending global climate crisis being caused by the burning of fossil fuels and they failed to inform their investors, they committed securities fraud under New York law and committed a criminal offense under the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which requires publicly traded companies to file annual reports detailing their financial condition and which requires CEOs like Tillerson to certify personally that those reports neither contain any untrue statement of material fact nor omit to state any material fact. And while government workers are typically protected from being prosecuted for actions performed as part of their official duties by something called sovereign immunity, Rex Tillerson, a.k.a. Wayne Tracker, was not acting in any government capacity when the alleged crimes here were committed, so he can be personally prosecuted and, if convicted, sent to prison. So what exactly happens when a corporation like Exxon is being investigated by a governmental entity like the Office of the Attorney General of the State of New York? Well, I can tell you, because I have, as an attorney, personally been involved in quite a number of these types of investigations. Who the clients were and what those matters involved is something I can't discuss. 
but I've never done any legal work for ExxonMobil. I have formed no attorney-client relationship with them, and I can therefore discuss them like any other private citizen. So, here's what happens. The company receives a subpoena, ordering it to produce documents and to answer questions under oath. Or it is sued, and it receives written requests for the production of documents dealing with the matters at issue in the lawsuit. But when big companies like ExxonMobil are being sued or investigated, the amount of documentary and other information they are required to produce can be enormous. In this instance, Exxon has thus far produced 2.5 million pages of documents in response to the State of New York's subpoena, including apparently some communications involving Rex Tillerson. But what they did not produce were any of Wayne Tracker's emails. So how did the State of New York find out about Wayne Tracker and this back channel of communications among Exxon's most powerful execs? Well, contained within those 2.5 million pages of documents were some 60 incidental references to the Wayne Tracker email address. These were the classic needles in the haystack. But, good lawyers doing what good lawyers are paid to do, the New York Attorney General's document review team found these references, and the AG followed up, asking, who is Wayne Tracker, and demanding production of his communications. See, when Exxon was ordered to turn over all of Tillerson's emails as part of the state investigation, it produced a total of only 160 emails from company management. And Exxon specifically avoided producing any emails to or from the email address waynetracker at exxonmobile.com, even though they appear to have been many of Tillerson's most important and high-level communications. So it looks like Exxon's lawyers didn't even turn over the most important haystack. But a few inadvertent references to Wayne Tracker got through. And by pulling on that initial Wayne Tracker thread, Schneiderman's office has now been able to identify 34 other ExxonMobil alias email accounts assigned to top executives, board members, and key assistants, none of which had previously been disclosed. What's contained in these secretive emails? Well, that remains to be seen. But it will be no great surprise if they contain more honest, candid assessments of the business risks associated with loss of shareholder value due to climate initiatives. And that could spell big trouble for the company, and for Secretary of State Tillerson in particular. For now, Exxon is due back in court on March 31st to produce the missing emails and account for their actions. So what does Exxon say about all this? Well, with regard to why they had a back channel of communications with alias email accounts for top execs and board members, Exxon says it was all just about efficiency, not secrecy. They say senior executives use the alias email accounts to send time-sensitive, high-priority communications to one another. And a company spokesman admits that those communications included matters relating to climate change. The spokesman claims that this was all about 
making sure that the top guys read their important stuff right away. What do I think? Bullshit. That's what I think. It is far more likely that secrecy, deniability, and the ability to destroy damaging evidence were the purposes. This back channel was set up deliberately to hide sensitive communications from discovery by investigators and to enable them to be destroyed if necessary. That's what I think. In fact, as reported in Bloomberg Politics on March 22nd, Exxon now claims that it may have lost or destroyed many of the Wayne Tracker emails, specifically those from 2014 and 2015, right at the time when Exxon's oil exploration and development project with the Russian state oil company Rosneft, a $500 billion deal, was falling apart over international sanctions being imposed against Russia for its illegal invasion of Ukraine. Wonder what those emails might contain? I do. With regard to why they failed to produce those emails in the first place, Exxon babbles on about capitalist ideology and then blames technology, whining about the difficulty of producing such a large amount of information. And believe me, it isn't easy. The identification of custodians whose communications need to be produced and the harvesting of those communications from all devices where they might be found, this is an entire subprofession unto itself. But companies like ExxonMobil, companies who sue and get sued all the time, companies with battalions of high-priced in-house lawyers and outside counsel, they are no strangers to this process. When a company like ExxonMobil receives a subpoena or a request for production of documents, it issues a litigation hold order to all employees and others whose communications are potentially targeted in order to ensure that no responsive communications or other documentation is lost or destroyed. But Exxon, which was using a Microsoft Exchange system for its communications, claims that the, quote, technological processes used to preserve and produce emails responsive to the government subpoena, quote, did not automatically extend to the secondary email account, end quote. Do not believe them. They are lying. It isn't a matter of the software automatically extending to the secondary email account. It's a matter of the company admitting that the secondary email account exists and directing the software to include it in the preservation and production of documents responsive to the subpoena. And this, it seems, they did not do. So, where will all of this lead? That remains to be seen. So, who is Wayne Tracker? Maybe, just maybe, the nation's first ever Secretary of State to be removed from office and imprisoned for criminal wrongdoing. We've never had a Secretary of State removed from office for corruption or criminal conduct, so we are in uncharted waters, as is true for so many aspects of the fledgling Trump administration. But for now, I'll stay after the Exxon Mobiles and the Wayne Trackers of the world, and you stay tuned to A Little Revolt. 
Remember all of those election-year Republican chants of, Lock her up! How ironic would it be if, in the end, we have to lock him up? Ayn Rand would be so disappointed in us. <laughs>